tonight. I'm reading uh, Matthew chapter 6. I'll read verses 11 and 12. These two verses actually kind of go together. Looking at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Amen. Please be seated. Here again we come to the fifth petition. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name J.D. Uh, Mason. She's a, a, a black author. Uh, received uh, a numerous uh, awards for her writings. But she has a very intense, suspenseful story, revenge, called Drop Dead Gorgeous. And uh, in that uh, book, she writes, Guilt doesn't follow the rules of time. Most things fade with time, regret, eyesight, memories. But guilt feeds on time. And as it feeds, it grows. And when it runs out of time, it begins to gnaw on the guilty. What a, a very vivid illustration of a truth. Guilt grows with time, unless it's forgiven. And the thing is, no one leaves this world without some tinge of gnawing guilt. Uh, there are so many things that we have done that we wish that we wouldn't have done. And worse than that, there are so many things that we should have done, but we didn't do. And not only that, we repeatedly fall into besetting sins. And then we chide ourselves for being so stupid and so careless. Guilt handshakes with shame. And our shame hinders our prayers. And, and it convinces us to become delinquent even in church attendance. I, I know some people who, who feel ashamed because of sin. And they're afraid to come to church now because they're ashamed. And when that happens, you begin to cascade into hopelessness. If only I can get into a time machine, go back to my younger self and, and stop myself from saying something that I know I'm going to regret or from doing something that's stupid I wish I wouldn't do. But alas, no time machine exists. And, and uh, so here we are. But are we relegated to perpetual guilt? No, of course not. In our... our uh, in our text tonight, as Jesus teaches us to pray, the fifth petition teaches us that there is hope in the forgiveness of sins. So he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here he uses financial language, but of course he's not talking about financial obligations, is he? In fact, uh, in, in the parallel passage where the Lord's Prayer is taught in Luke chapter 11... Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. So these debts are moral and spiritual obligations that we owe God. Now, what do we owe God? Well, from the previous chapter, chapter 5 and verse 48, Jesus said that we are to be as perfect 
as our Heavenly Father is perfect. You are to be perfect. We owe God a perfect obedience to each and every one of his commandments. With just one little sin, we have fallen short of that standard. And when we fall short of that standard, then we owe justice satisfaction. Just one sin deserves death and eternal condemnation. Just one. But you know that our sins are legion, aren't they? Countless. We, we sin so much that we don't even know that we're sinning half the time. How can we ever pay back what we owe him? That's why we need to pray for mercy. Forgive us our debts. Now, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, our, our guilt is, is often described in terms of, of uh, omission and commission, right? We deliberately transgress God's laws. We know something is evil. We know that this displeases God. We know that we shouldn't do it, but yet we do it anyway. Sin of commission. And while we are certainly guilty of, of that, I think most of us feel that our biggest problem is that we don't live up to the standards. We, we are guilty more of the sins of omission. And even when we do the right things, we don't always do it with good motives, do we? And how many times have we done things without knowing that it displeased God? Only to discover later on our failures. Just because something is done out of ignorance doesn't mean it isn't sin. But all sin, whether it's a sin of omission or a sin of commission, all sin makes us debtors to God. Sin makes us idolaters, doesn't it? And, and we seek to justify ourselves if not with the true God, then we'll build up our own idols in our minds and our imaginations. The, the thing is, sin refuses to give God what is his due. And, and so sin blinds us. Sin blinds us so that we don't see just how vile and ugly our sin is. Sin blinds us so that we don't see how holy and righteous God is. I, I liked what, what uh, Pastor Innes said just a little while ago, that, uh, that uh, to call ourselves worms is an insult to the worms. They, they worship God. They, they, well, they don't worship God, but they, but they obey God perfectly without sin, but you don't. But we never see how ugly sin is. We never see ourselves in, in all its vileness. And, and I'm very grateful to that because if I did, I'd probably melt right there on the scene. But again, sin blinds us to what is true of, of our ugliness and it blinds us of God's holiness. We think that God is like us. That God winks at sin that God is soft with sin. No, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, because we do owe God a great debt indeed. Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard that God will judge all people by perfection. Again, I know sin deceives people into thinking that because God is patient with sinners... 
God gives sunshine and rain upon all people. So God must be okay with us in our sin. He must be okay. And, and we will never be destroyed by his wrath because of our sin. You know, in 1994, I, I, this is a, oh, I, I hate admitting, uh, watching certain movies, but, but I'm going to have to admit this because, anyway, uh, in 1994, a movie came out, uh, or maybe it was a little bit earlier than that, but anyway, it came out entitled Ghost. Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, Whoopi Goldberg. Anyway, in that movie, the main character was a very nice, hardworking, kind, apparently gentle man. He looked like a good guy, a guy that you like to have a beer with, perhaps. But the thing is, he's like so many other people of our day. He's, he's living with his girlfriend. He's fornicating with his girlfriend. And then he's murdered. And his ghost seeks justice. And finally, that justice comes as his murderer is killed. And as he's killed, these, these black shadows come up and grab hold of him and drags him to hell, screaming in terror. But then that fornicator sees a, a light from heaven open up and he's brought up into heaven. Because he's a kind and gentle soul, you know. He, he truly loved his girlfriend. But what about what 1 Corinthians 6 says? 1 Corinthians 6 says that fornicators will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. They will go to hell. Now, in this sex-driven culture, fornication doesn't need pardon from God. At least they think it doesn't, but it does. It's a very sad and terrifying place to, to be thinking that you're okay when you're not okay. The Bible gives so many warnings about our sin. But people still think that warning isn't for them, it's for somebody else. But again, Jesus teaches us in this fifth commandment, or this fifth petition, to slow down as it points out our guilt and our great need for pardon. It reminds us that God's eyes truly are too holy to look upon us. God will demand that debt be paid in full. Can you pay it? Many people are in hell today thinking that they lived a decent life. And by all earthly standards, by human standards, they did leave a, a, a decent life. They paid their mortgages. They never robbed a bank. They went to work. They gave their boss the hours. They gave to charities. They mowed their grass. They were good neighbors. They walked little old ladies across the street. They lived a decent life. But there they are in hell. Why? Because they didn't live perfectly. God's absolute standard shows them their folly. It shows us our folly if we don't heed these words. But as we look at this petition, notice how Jesus connects the fifth petition to the fourth, commission, uh, to the fourth petition. The fourth petition again is, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. 
For us, forgiveness is a daily need, isn't it? As, as daily bread makes us comfortable in life, so forgiveness makes us comfortable in death. Now that fourth, command, uh, that fourth petition taught us that we should be grateful. As God gives us our daily provisions, as he gives us our daily needs, we should be grateful and, and we should take those things and use them all for God's glory as we live for his kingdom, right? The fifth petition takes and builds upon that and it echoes what Proverbs chapter 11, verse four warns us, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. We can pray for our daily provisions and God gives it to them. But you know, your daily provisions, that money, the riches that you get from your daily provisions cannot pay the debt you owe God. You know, you can't bribe God. What value will your wealth afford you on that day of terror? There's an interesting story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man who enjoyed all the luxuries of this world. But then when he died, he, he, Jesus said, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. Again, that rich man enjoyed the wealth of this world. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. You can't buy your way out of hell with your riches. I don't care how many millions you might have or billions you might have. It's not going to matter one penny, one farthing. Farthing, we don't use that money here. But anyway, uh, we should seek God's mercy daily while you have breath. Those who never pray, forgive us our debts, squander the gifts of God in their pursuit of sin. They're ungrateful cads who always find excuses why they don't need to confess their sins. But praying for our daily bread with a prayer for forgiveness admits that we don't deserve the blessings that we do get. We we, we don't have a right to life because of our offenses against God, because the debt we owe him. But as we combine that prayer for blessings with a prayer for mercy, we have a promise that God will in fact hear us and grant that request. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that a great news? We are in great need. And so we look to God to fill our bodies with food and drink. But we should look to him also for the forgiveness we need for our souls. We, we need to, to uh, 
So we, we, we need and we want to lift up our care to God. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. But unless our sins are confessed and repented of, we have no reason to believe that those prayers will be answered. Do you know that? David prayed in Psalm 66, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Unconfessed and unrepentant sin is the great cause for unanswered prayer. King Saul learned this lesson. Remember when he was being attacked by the Philistines and Samuel was already dead, he goes to a medium and asks that uh, the medium would raise Samuel up from the dead. And when Samuel appeared before him, he said, I am greatly distressed for the Philistines are waging war against me. And God has departed from me and no longer answers me. Why? Because Saul rejected God's laws. He did whatever he wanted. And so God rejected him. And so his prayers were no longer answered. How sad, how tragic that in his most desperate need, Saul learned that God turns away from those who live in unconfessed and unrepentant sin. Don't be like that. Know that your sin will hinder your prayers. Jeremiah 5.24 supports this. Your iniquities have turned these away. Your sins have withheld good from you. Not only did God withhold good from Israel because uh, they were unrepentant in their sins, God even forbade Jeremiah to pray for that unrepentant people. Do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry of prayer for them, for I will not listen to me when they call because of their disaster. 1 Peter in the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 2, says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Do you hear that? Sin will hinder your prayers. Yes, God is gracious. God is forgiving. Otherwise, Jesus would have taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. But we should never think that God is simply okay with sin. Unrepentant sin separates us from God. And none but the cross, and nothing but the cross can fix the chasm that exists between God and an unresentant man. So in this petition, forgive us our debts, we have a promise that our sins will be forgiven. That's an amazing statement. That's an amazing promise. Again, why? Because God is so holy. God is so righteous. Again, Habakkuk says that he can't even look on wickedness with favor. God cannot change in his holiness or in his righteousness. So how is it possible that God can forgive sins? His righteous and just anger must rise up to judge it, shouldn't it? Yes. But again, we come to the gospel. Romans chapter 3 tells us that we are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. A just and righteous God insists upon justice. He cannot waive his righteousness. And we cannot be pardoned without absolute righteousness. 
But the glory of the gospel is that God's justice is served by a substitute. God's mercy is extended to us because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the justice of God in his life and in his death. So we can pray, forgive us our debts, because Jesus Christ himself, who taught us to pray this petition, has paid the debt we owe. Jesus, yes, fully and perfectly obeyed God's law. No failure in him at all. He took care of sin. He took care of the omission of sin by his perfect life. He took care of the, the uh, sin of commission by his death on the cross. Sins of omission, sins of commission, all fully paid for. And you can stand before God this evening in complete righteousness, grace upon grace. And after parting your debt on the day of judgment, do you think that God will call your sins to remembrance? Now, sometimes there's that, that thought, right? Oh, on the, day of, uh, on the day of judgment, God's going to call me up. There's going to be that big screen, and my life is going to be played on that big screen, and everyone's going to see all my sins, all my failures, all those embarrassing things. I, you think that's going to happen? Listen to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. I will be merciful towards your iniquity. This is someone who's prayed, Lord, forgive us our debts. I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. <laughs> In God's great ledger book, all your debts are forgiven. The book says that all your debts have been paid. Do you get this? What do you mean that you owe me something? My book says that that debt has been paid. You don't owe me anything. But if all our sins are forgiven, why do then we need to pray, forgive us our debts? I had a friend who argued that, that the Lord's Prayer was, uh, was taught before the cross, but after the cross, it no longer applies to us. We don't need to pray the Lord's Prayer because we are justified. And praying the fifth petition is an act of unbelief. Well, it's true that all our sins, past, present, and future, are truly forgiven you. You cannot, my friends, you cannot be any more righteous today than you already are. You're not going to be any more righteous tomorrow than you are today in Christ. But 1 John Chapter 1 says, if we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And see, what the apostle there is teaching us is that, that sin will be a constant struggle that we all have until we die. But if we confess our sins, God will apply, again, the cleansing blood of Christ so that our consciences will be cleansed. Do you understand this? It's true that not one of my sins will ever condemn me because Christ has already paid the debt for those sins. But what does sin do? Again, sins interferes with the communion that I enjoy with the Father, and that needs to be dealt with. So we pray this petition in faith so that the peace that has been earned and bought by Christ's blood may, may be restored. In dealing with guilt, 
We don't have a time machine to go back and stop us from doing that stupid thing. But we have something greater. Praying the fifth petition reveals the greatness of God's love. He paid the debt we owe him in Christ. Now, of course, the, the memories of our failure should humble us and drive us to the merits of Christ. And the more we understand the all-sufficiency of Christ's merit, the more we will know the deliverance. The guilty conscience that accuses us will be silenced. We're brought back now to an appreciation of what we have in Christ. Pardon for sin. Relief from guilt. A right and good relationship with the Father. See, knowing that we have this freedom of forgiveness, Paul, or Jesus then goes on to say that now you're enabled to serve. We're going to look at this next week, or next time around, a couple of weeks from now, Knowing that we are forgiven, it enables us to serve freely. David said in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. You hear that I've been forgiven and now I'm going to share that forgiveness with others. When Zacchaeus Little Zacchaeus was up in the sycamore tree, and the Lord called, Zacchaeus, come down. I must have dinner with you today. And he comes down, and, and the Lord forgives him of his sins, and Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. See, uh, the forgiveness of sins wells up within us such gratitude that we want to serve others and give to others. To know this joy, to know this freedom. Oh, beloved, let's continue then to pray. Forgive us our debts. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We ask you, O oh Lord, that now as we come to your table, that we would not only hear with our ears, but see with our eyes, feel with our hands, taste with our mouths the joy of salvation that you have given to us in Christ. Make us to be a free people, O oh Lord as we experience that forgiveness of sins. Let us hide nothing from you, O Lord, for you see all things anyway. And Lord, in this, O Lord, help us then to be restored to you always in walking in grace before you. In Jesus' name, amen.